you're listening to Cams Talk, a podcast brought to you by the service users and professionals from East London NHS Foundation Trust. A podcast where you can hear us discuss, debate and challenge issues around child and adolescent mental health in the UK. Hello and welcome back to part three of episode five of the Cams Talk podcast. Now, what we're looking at in this episode is all about men's mental health. And we are just about to rejoin the conversation where we're going to start discussing the differences between the way that men or males and females display their difficulties with their mental health and actually communicate it. So less from me, more from the conversation. Speak to you in a minute and young um, adolescent males deal with mental health issues in in lots of different ways compared to young girls as in there'll be much more um, episodes of aggression or violence or crime or it'll it'll tend to go that way and I'm just wondering is there something that we need to be doing to be uh, I guess kind of targeting young adolescents that are young adolescent males that are I I guess presenting with that kind of behavior I guess, do we do enough is my question to identify whether that is because there are some, some mental health issues going on with those, with those young male adolescents? Yeah, I think that's a, an interesting question, interesting point. And what I was just thinking then was in terms of um, it's such a broad spectrum and you must see, Mark, in the work and all you, you guys in the profession of that there's such a wide range when you say what's a mental health problem or what's a Mm. you know what's a mental health struggle everyone's going to have something different and i Mm. I imagine if you had a a stadium or an auditorium of a thousand people put your hand up if you've had something challenging happen in your life or you felt a different emotion everyone's going to stand up everybody um and i think you know i found well at what point is there a need at what point is it really affecting my life and you know because now we're so much more aware of it then perhaps everybody's going to say, oh, well, I need a bit of help. And I think personally, I thought, well, what's the right amount of help I need? And mm. well, I think I think I'm okay. And actually going to get some help was great because at one point I thought this is affecting my life too much. You know, I'm not really going out for dinner and I'm not being social with people because I'm too worried about what I'm going to eat or what, what, things like that. And actually, you know, once you've gone and got some support and you've got back on an even keel and you don't necessarily need it anymore. So everyone's going to need it at different points in their life depending mm. on different things but i think being open to the fact that it's not a bad thing i suppose is is the main thing it's it's okay put your hand up and i wouldn't have thought you've ever had anyone in your in your little room that you've said you don't need to be here off you go i, I would have thought most people you've had a conversation with about whatever it is is that yeah true? definitely and um to sort of answer the question so we see a lot of young um men with anger they're always getting sent to, to me because they're angry. And then when you unpack that, when yeah. you sit with them and listen to them, yes, they're angry. That is their form of communication. Mm. Um, they they often don't cry, another form of communication that they're told they shouldn't do, stop crying. Um, but yeah, so they come with the anger. And then when you unpack and, 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 and give them that opportunity, it's often um, something that's going on within school or something that's going on at home that they because of their age maybe so maybe in year uh, five and six they just don't understand they haven't got the cognitive ability to understand it as much and then you throw in puberty and then you throw in going into a new school and they've just got so many things going on they just can't so is it is it not having the right emotional language do we need to go right back to a really early age and teach everyone the right emotional language to describe what it is they're feeling and recognize what it is they're feeling um 
yeah. don't know. What do, what do we do more of? How do we get more young men talking? What what can we do more of in schools or colleges or sports clubs? Or in families. In families. It has to, yeah. I think it has to. Has, Bedfordshire is very good at the moment with early help. Yeah. So it's all about early intervention, a bit like mm. what um, Mark was saying about getting the pool table and the snooker. I want them to just be able to see that there is a, that there is something. Oh, there's a poster on the wall there about abuse. Oh, that might right. be happening to them. They they can see that it's wrong. So early help and society has to change. Yeah. So we were saying earlier on about where you live. If in the north of England it's taking longer than where in this the south of England to change those cultures, those stigmas, those attitudes, but that's what has to change. Mm-hmm. But we're a long way off, but we've moved forward. And I think yeah. there, there was some research done, hence the reason why I asked the question. I <laughs> um, there was some re- research done by the um, Time to Change team, and what they found was, this, now this was back in 2016, so it's old, but I still think it's really relevant. They said the research shows that half, 49% of teenage boys in the UK would not feel comfortable talking to their dads about their mental health, including stress, anxiety and depression. When asked why, more than a third said it was because their dad doesn't talk about his feelings, and 31% mm. said that they wouldn't want to burden their family so i mean that's quite that's huge when you look at it and i I say that was back in 2016 but i think one of the threads that we've been talking about is about that perception is about that stigma is about that kind of ideal that kind of idealistic view of what males and boys and men should be Um, and i think that's quite that's quite shocking Mm. because if i reflect on that with my i mean my son's now 23 and he has we have always had conversations about the the way in which they feel because, as I said, you know, there were, um, I suffered depression about four years ago, um, and I I, w- I really was having a hard time with it. Um, and my son and I opened up, and we had some. He was about how old is he? Twenty three, about nineteen. Yeah, can't do my maths now. Um, so he was kind of just kind of late teens, early twenties when we had that discussion, and that was so valuable because mm-hmm. my son is really quite a sensitive lad anyway, and I think it's also helped him to feel much more um, confident in being able to say, actually, I found this real, really stressful. Um, mm. And so he's found a language in, in, for, for himself with that. Um, and, and again, I just, I just think for me, that was just a little micro example of just how important it is for mm. us as parents to role model the fact that it's okay not to be this, this you know, kind so, of, you know, Terminator type character. Mm. So we need all the dads. This is a plea <laughs> to all the dads to open up and... Be more honest about... But just on that point, so I'm a dad of a... He's nearly 19, and I've got a daughter who's 13, but I'm a better communicator about how you feel to other people's children than I am my own children. With your own, really. And that's common. A lot of people say, because there's an emotional attachment there, so I have that... There's a difficulty, there's a barrier. Mm. But with other people's children, I'm brilliant. Mm. Well, I'm very good. (laughs) (laughs) Go on, you can say And other other (laughs) friends who've got children, they'll say, Mark what can I do to help? Yeah. And I know what to say, but I don't say it necessarily to my own children. Yeah, I'm mm. a bit like that. I think that can be um, part of the stigma in some ways is um, the, it needing to be so emotional in, in terms of people thinking, oh, I'm going to open up about mental health. It's going to be really emotional and upsetting. I've, I've got to cry in terms of it doesn't always have to be. And I think that could mm. help people mm. to feel a bit more open about talking because you know I've got a really good relationship with my dad and you know we regularly have chats and, and um, we have coffee and dad being from the northeast, I'm fairly sure with my granddad, <laughs> there was never a conversation about anything emotional. Yeah. Um, but, you know, 
me, us living down here and dad being much more closer to me I think we do have quite a lot of close chats and you know we spend a bit of time together and actually it doesn't have to be tears all the time I think which is the yeah. key I've we've sort of learned that actually oh, yeah, just having a tough time and, and that, that's really key that it doesn't always have to be and then there's, there's a stigma around it being that really mm-hmm. so yeah I've definitely noticed a shift in how like talking with my dad because like well my issues started about four or five years ago and I know back then and probably until last year we never talked about how I was feeling it would be with my mum and my mum would come to appointments my dad wouldn't engage in the support because Mm -hmm. he's never really talked about how he's feeling and this year we've had some bereavements he's lost his mum and then my mum's lost her dad so if we've had to try and he's starting to talk which is really good and he's starting to talk to me about how I feel but I know communication about my treatment tends to go via my mum to my dad my dad asks my mum what's Mm. happening with Jay or how's Jay today rather than asking me directly because I think he doesn't know how to respond to me saying I've had this today or stuff like that so I think I think improvement it takes a long time for people to open up and it's just retraining because I know his family never talked about things and then my grandparents on that side I'd never talked to them about my mental health and things but my mum's side I did so I think it really depends on your upbringing and it goes back a long time. There's also, I think, a small factor of his, it sounds weird to say, but you don't want to disappoint your parents. And if you talk to your dad saying that you're facing issues like this, I know they probably won't feel like this, but it almost feels like you're telling them that they've failed as a parent and the child you've raised isn't, I don't want to say not normal because it's perfectly normal to have mental health conditions, mm-hmm. but as when you have something like that you feel like you're being annoying and you don't feel normal and you don't want others around you to think it's their fault that you're like that so that can make it incredibly hard for you to talk to not just your dad but any parent or anyone you know that's a really fair point mm-hmm. actually yeah i often use the terminology emotionally constipated <laughs> and i know a lot of emotionally constipated people mm. <laughs> that's a good analogy that one <laughs> I was interested from you guys' perspective as young people at school. I don't know. um, It seems now in the last, I'd say maybe the last four or five years that the mental health topic and agenda is so much more in the news. When I was at school, um, it wasn't something that was necessarily there. We didn't have a counsellor. We didn't, I don't think it was mentioned. And even when I was at university, when there were tough times, I don't think it was really... Uh, not a thing it was there but the sort of mental illness is way over there and that's a real big problem and we've got these types of conditions but general mental health wasn't something that was talked about I don't know now do you feel like at school or college or wherever it's a really easy not an easy thing to talk about but it's it's common that it's on lots of posters and yeah I think things like depression and anxiety are talked about quite a lot in quite in a good way which is good because that is they're quite they're very common Mm. but I think it's the, the lesser spoken about um, mental illnesses that aren't talked about or that are still facing stigma which yes people can go I'm, I've got depression I feel like this and mm. sometimes your friends can be like oh that oh, we're here for you and you know mm. then if you say something like I've got anorexia or I've mm. got like if you had a personality disorder for example then everyone's like whoa whoa or like no mm. I mm. people are scared of you and people are scared of what's happening and I know with eating disorders, it's especially seen as a female thing. And I was taught about eating disorders in year nine science, I remember. Okay. And it was just like, well, this, lots of girls feel like this and this happens to girls. And it's just, you just sit there feeling, oh my God. And then it just, teachers are not always helping with the stigma because people don't always, people put their own views into things that aren't actually right. And they don't, it's it's still not recognised, even though, have you got stats on 
eating disorders in men, I know it's on the increase, isn't I think, it? I think this, the the last formal stats, well, I think it was about one in ten. But but um, I guess for me, I, uh, I'm, I would like a little bit more information about whether that is has been assessed as having or whether that, I suppose, or whether that's um, on a basis of the amount of the population that's coming into services yeah, so i want i do wonder higher. and i suppose i suppose i wonder you know for, for all mental health stats i think you know how much does it represent those that are struggling to come that, and that haven't come forward yet does it represent that i guess the jury's out on that for me yeah. uh, but certainly my my personal view is there's probably a lot more young males out there that are that are experiencing eating disorders silently and not coming forwards mm. because they feel that maybe this is this is a this is a disease or this is an illness that that girls get now i know that beat is doing so much work around it and for anybody listening that wants to know who beat are um they are the um the uk's biggest charity for eating disorders and, and they um, i'll put some i'll put the website address on the show notes for this podcast um, and they have a lot of information about male eating disorders so if there are any any boys or men boys or men that are listening to this podcast that are wondering about that then um, then you can go over there and get some information mm. not just exclusively boys or men but anyone at all who's facing an eating disorder mm. needs to look into it this isn't just about encouraging mental i mean yes it is about encouraging mental health talk in with men mm-hmm. we're not saying it women can't have mental health conditions and it is just as important that they mm. speak up as well as men i yeah. just want to yeah and i suppose if we're going to go that line to anybody else that doesn't identify or being mm-hmm. male or female so yeah, just anybody absolutely. yeah i think um especially with eating disorders in the trans uh, being trans mm. uh, i tend it's see it's often blamed on your gender identity for a very long time i know personally it was a oh well are your issues about your body you have to do with your gender and it took me ages to say no these this isn't that it's not that mm. and i think especially as a trans guy it's really difficult because sometimes you do experience things in a female way presenting way but then it's not always picked up and vice versa mm. before i transitioned mm. Do you find in um, schools, Mark, in terms of uh, the early intervention stuff that Mark was mentioning, like you get people coming to see you, um, the students for counselling, but also is there much in terms of general PHSC or sessions where, because there must be a demand on you, on yourself or you know, the amount of referrals or just uh, how the process works? Yeah, we have a very good um, PHSE humanities um, head um, of department and they do a lot of so I've been there three years and we've done a lot of work on um, tutor time interventions um, so they're getting that 15-20 minutes every morning on different subjects different topics what's going on in the world yeah. plus mental health and we try and aim it so it's relevant for the certain age groups so certainly in years 9 and 10 there's a lot of friendship and relationship difficulties especially with girls, for instance, boys, this is the typical, I had a teacher saying it the other day, boys will have a fight, fist fight, and then after a couple of days or the next day, it's sorted out, whereas girls tend to drag it on. So we're talking about boys um, here, but yeah, so that, that's sort okay. of what they're saying. So we do, we, we have assemblies, um, we're asking our young people about their mental health. So we did a questionnaire. So every young person received this questionnaire yes, uh, last year around how they're feeling just to identify. And actually, mm-hmm. it came out when we put all the statistics together um, that actually our school, they're, they're saying they're actually all right. The, the, the percentages for difficult mental health and well-being were very small. 
we did a completely anonymous. We didn't want to, we wanted people to engage with us. So we thought if we do it anonymously, then at least we'll get a feel rather than asking people to put their name, fear of then, are we going to come and find you? Yeah, you're going to make me yeah. do this or make me do that. But we do do a lot of uh, early intervention. And having mm. a school counsellor, mm. everybody says, oh, how did that happen? Mm. Well, we haven't got one of those full time on site. Mm. So I'm very much a part of the school. Brilliant. So I don't just sit in my cupboard mm. and wait for people to come. I'm mm. out there recruiting almost, mm. okay. standing around, getting involved mm. with the teachers and stuff. I mean, it's great. And I think we need, what we need to do, and we are doing more of at CAMS with our schools team, and we're going out there, we're doing, you know, freshers weeks at university, we're doing stands at the new colleges. And I think it's so important, as you mentioned earlier, Jay, that we're making sure that we're covering a wider, more diverse range of topics, and that it's not just the usual sort of, you know, depression and anxiety, but we're educating people about, you know, everyone that it can affect anyone of any culture any background you know any gender um so that we're when we're and that we've got the right people i think talking about it as well yeah because that's so important isn't it i mean i know that a lot of the local schools are using the the resources that we've made here at cams the films that we've made to to educate people because they feel it's important for for them to hear directly from young people and we're asked that we're being asked for you know young people to go in and speak at assemblies as well which we're really lucky because you guys are really willing to do that um can i book you <laughs> yeah have you got our films no, i haven't actually but see this is it a lot of the stuff is out there mm. which we don't know about it's all on our website yeah. so we've got some amazing films okay. But uh, www. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. I think in terms of that's what Jay said about not getting mixed messages and actually having yourselves, you know, the collaboration between the schools and cams and actually knowing that, like you said, early intervention, they're getting the sort of the same kind of messages, information in, in tutor time, and um, that that's really important so that people can feel that there's a, probably a bit of a fear in terms of. Oh, I've signed up for the, the counselling session and now I'm over that line. I can't go back again. It, it, I just wanted a bit of a chat and actually having the ability to, to meet yourself in the playground or around school or be, have to be referred into CAMS. You can actually meet CAMS like, like at the Mindful Sport where we have the, the two uh, CAMS assistants there chatting to people. It's, it's informal support to keep everybody with, with that early intervention help rather than at crisis time when yeah, we really need it. So Yeah. I think, you know, we are CAMS workers, we are counsellors, we we've all got our different jobs and our different roles, but actually before that we were all people. And I think that's the important thing that, that kind of... Oh, you still are well. all people. You're not just robots <laughs> that work at CAMS. <laughs> that's what I meant. <laughs> yeah, but primarily, actually, we are, we, are, we are people with a training and a passion for actually making a change. And I think, you know, I think sometimes actually the labels can be the things that people spot and then there's their fear about what the label means. So you're going to see a counsellor or you're going to see CAMS or you're going to see a therapist. And I think, so, I think that in itself, I think also goes a long way to creating that stigma. I think mm. as you were alluding to there, which is, you know, there's a line you've crossed and what and where are you now? Now you're over that line. What does it mean for you? Um, essentially, what it means is that, you know, something's actually happening that you that you need a bit of support with. And you've been brave enough and confident enough to go to go ahead and do that. Um, and and, you know, I think I, I, I say the word brave because I think for some people it does take a certain level of bravery to, to, to want to to want to step in, into that into that arena. But 
I think that's the bit that we're all trying to work with. It's it's not a case of being brave enough to do it or 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 kind of feeling as if it's something to be scared of. If it it needs to be normalised and it needs to be something where it's identified that everybody, as you said, in that stadium, if you said have you struggled with something, everybody would put their hand up. And I think it's about it's about getting that message across that you know getting support for something that you're struggling with or that you're finding difficult is quite normal. Um, whereas, whereas at the moment it's kind of, you know, in lots of arenas, it's not seen to be. Um, and I think that's the work that's needing to be done. And I think, as you said, that collaborative approach where all of us from schools, from CAMS, from where, where you're working in sport, I think that's where it all needs to come together to actually get that same message across that it's not, it's not this big, scary thing to be doing. It's something that that's, that's self-caring. It's quite normal. Mm. But, but it's really, really difficult sometimes to do that. Mm. So talking about stigma so this year i well over the last two and a half years i've had four female and one male deaths in my family and i thought i was dealing with it all Mm. but one of them the one in january um really knocked me massively which i didn't i didn't i didn't expect to, to feel that way because other significant people had died and i was i managed it i was okay i did my my college course i looked after my family um but after maybe a couple of months of this this death my um brother died who i didn't feel that close to in terms of a connection um but it just pushed the other previous death there mm-hmm. um so I was I thought I was managing it, but it just came to a, a massive a massive head where I went to my counsellor and then couldn't return to work on that day and I ended up ringing my friend and I knew what she was going to tell me that I should go to the doctors and I knew what the doctor was going to say to me, would you like these tablets? Would you like some time off? So I was like, I knew all of these things that mm. might other people might be telling me. I didn't want to be like that. I didn't want to be Mark, the school counsellor who is emotionally struggling. Yeah. The doctor yeah. said I had the word that I struggle to mention that begins with D and ends in N and there's two S's <laughs> in the middle. She she was a lovely doctor, actually. She said, oh, Mark, I think you're depressed. But I said, no, I'm not depressed. But I was, but I'm not. I'm just emotionally struggling. So that was my my language that I wanted to use. And it's important yeah. that we all use mm. our own language. Yeah. Um, but that's sometimes what you need somebody sometimes. What I felt is I needed permission. That was what I was looking for. I was looking for somebody to say, Mark, do you know what? This is what you need to be off work. Or you need. And I wasn't, I wouldn't because then I would be a failure. Yeah. Because I felt a failure. Yeah. Because I'm a man and I should be looking after my wife and I should be looking after my two children. But I wasn't as well as I normally do. Yeah. So it's about. Yeah, it, but it, sometimes things have to come to a head mm. and people often then maybe self-harm or they try to take their own life and that's that's coming to a head for them. Yeah. It's a cry for help but because maybe they don't know any other way. I knew other ways. I just I just didn't want to do it because I would feel like a failure. As but well, you- oh, sorry. As a counsellor, it's very easy for you to tell other people what to do. But then mm. when it actually comes to helping yourself, it's a lot. It's like you know exactly what to do. You know how to do it. But then actually doing it's a much harder step for not just you working in counselling, but absolutely anyone. Yeah, no, definitely. Mm. And, and I would, like you said, I would, I would say, I would be telling my 
closest friends what I think they should do or, or sort of explore it with them. I don't often tell people what to do because we never tell people what to do in the counselling world. Um, <laughs> just advise. Yeah, well, we do, no, 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 we don't give advice, neither. <laughs> we, wound, we wonder and we um, question what the outcomes of certain situations might be. Um, but yeah, but I would probably be telling my best friend, do you know what, Mark, I think you should do this. I think you should try that. But I wasn't taking it in myself. Mm. But looking back now, you can obviously acknowledge that that was that that was the tipping point. Yeah, and it was it was like a like a, a black cloud. I know we, we use mm. that terminology a lot of the time, but it was it was like a big black cloud, mm. and it, it wouldn't mm. shift. And you, you, it, it had what happened had to happen. It's no point thinking having regrets because it, it's just a process that we go through, and we we take that help at some point, or we'll listen more at some point. Mm. And I think what you were saying about you being the you being the male and you being the strong dad and you being the parent, I think that's some, that I think that's that bit that's that bit of work that we need to do on ourselves. I think you know, kind of in understanding that yes, we have that role, but there comes a point when you kind of we need help and support to be able to kind of just be ourselves and kind of because sometimes we can give ourselves those roles, can't we? Or we can be given those mm-hmm. roles. But I think there's something there about being able to say, actually, do you know what? I've got all of that, but where I am at the moment is I need I need this. And that is a really tough thing to do. Well, wow. we have we have just to let we are on an hour and six <laughs> minutes on this. This is the biggest podcast we've ever done. Yeah. Well, I think there's been some amazing conversations and some really good observations. And I just hope that anyone listening to this has found it helpful. I hope it's made people think about how they could support other people, how they might need to ask for help themselves. Um, So I'm just going to, have we finished? Have we come to a natural halt? Yeah. Everybody's nodding. Yeah, I think so. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you. It's going to be like twice as long as anything we've had up yet. <laughs> this is probably going to be a three-parter. We'll probably yeah. break this down to be... Yeah, I reckon so. That's what we'll do. Okay, so that brings an end to part three of uh, episode five of the Cam's Talk podcast, which has been all about men's mental health. And I just want to say a big thank you to the people that participated in this, to Robert Lindsay from the um, Bedford Mental Health in Sport team, from Mark Thomas, who is a schools counsellor, but also does private therapy within his own right, um, for two of our service users, Aaron and Jay, um, and also for Nikki Scott um, for keeping all of us, all of us gents in in tow and in line whilst on the podcast and asking some really killer questions as well um i think what the outcome of this podcast has been is that no matter who is around and how stable people appear to be there is always that possibility that there may be males in your life that are struggling with something so if your gut feeling is telling you that that something is wrong then please step forwards and ask the men and the males in your life if they're okay and not just ask once ask more than once because as we've heard, quite often or not, we we males can tend to be a little bit proud and say, no, things are fine. So please be persistent and look after the men that are in your life. Also, I just wanted to say a little bit more about the podcast itself. As you know, this podcast has been brought to you by the Luton and Bedford Cam Service and also the Luton and Bedford Service User Participation Group. And we are part of the East London NHS Foundation Trust. If you wanted to make a comment, you can do by catching up with us on the live chat on Twitter. Um, come in finding, finding our handle at Cam's Talk and using that. 
Um, also, you can send us an email at info at camstalk.com. And we're really pleased that you can also leave us a voice message by going over to speakpipe.com forward slash camstalk. Um, so if you want to share your thoughts and your views as to how um, how these podcasts are, then I would really appreciate that. Um, and also, if you've got any thoughts and views on any other future podcasts that you any other subjects that you would like us to to cover on the podcast itself. Um, so I think that that's it. And it just remains for me to say, look after yourselves and uh, we'll we'll speak to you on the next podcast. So uh, goodbye. <laughs>